Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. All right, major spoiler alert. I told you guys that I was making a big, big announcement next week with Marisol, but I began making it at the very end of this conversation today with Father Ryan Adorjan. In retrospect, I realized that I kind of let the cat out of the bag, but it's only part of the announcement. If you are just waiting and wondering and wanting to hear this big announcement from Marisol and from me next week, then just whatever, wait. Okay, that's fine. But at the very, very end of today's episode, the cat does come out of the bag. Maybe the tail of the cat comes out of the bag. I don't know. It's not the full-blown announcement, but it is certainly a massive part of it. And you know what? I'm so excited. We're just going to let the tape roll. It's a great conversation today with Father Ryan and George, and we continue answering all of your brilliant questions. Today, we kind of dive into beauty and what it means to be a co-creator with God. Obviously, that's a big part of Love Good, not just for artists, not just for musicians, but for all of us to recognize our own encounters with beauty and how the beauty of God's love has totally transformed us along the way. Okay, so in the meantime, enjoy this little clip of Summer Snow by Dawson Hollow off of their new album, Even When It Doesn't Rhyme, and I'll be back with Father Ryan in just a moment. I keep waking from this same dream Such a lonely song Love Runs from me Every time Your heart of gold Petrifies me With your smile You are my Summer 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 snow Father Ryan if it was your last day on earth, or if this was your last ever episode on the Love Good Podcast, how would you spend it? What would you say? Where would you want the conversation to go? I wouldn't want to play a game. <laughs> no games. I can honor that. I just would want to answer questions. Perfect. I was hoping you there would we go. say that. Because you know, this is where we left off last week. And by last week, I mean three weeks ago. Or for you and me, you know. 10 minutes 15 ago. 15 minutes ago, yeah. I haven't even changed clothes in between episodes. This Me time either. Around. I think our patrons can handle it. These, aren't, it these aren't recorded moments before they go out. I mean, come on, who does that? You, you got to be like Michael Knowles to pull that off. Not even Dr. Phil does that. Not even Dr. Phil. So here we are. We've got some beautiful questions. These are, in some ways, the most connected to the Love Good Mission. We had questions about dating, questions about ecumenism, a little bit of politics, these are all very specific to beauty and culture and creativity. I think we're going to really enjoy these. This is a great way to kind of wrap up season six, you know, at least your episode here on season six. Let's begin here. I really like this question. This is from Jerry in Gove, I think maybe Grove, but Gove is what it says. Gove County, Kansas, Jerry. He says, how do you discern what is authentically true and beautiful 
when we are surrounded by technology and people that say, look here, listen to us, read what I wrote. This is the truth. In other words, what do you use to guide you in finding God's truth in the world? Thanks. That's a great question. And that's a really good assessment of what it's like to turn your phone on. One of the great downsides of the last year and a half has been the amount of information that we're being asked to consume. My mom's a school secretary, and she's noticed that a lot of stuff from parents is coming back late, is coming back unsigned, is coming back clearly like you didn't even read this. It's not necessarily the parents' fault. It is objectively, but think of the number of packets that were sent home. You've been at a school. Think of the number of protocols we've all had to read. Think of the number of long paragraphs of things saying, this is essential. You must read this. This is important. Like, Not everything can be important. Not everything can be essential to my worldview. Not every single thing that I do and consume can be that way. So I'm sorry to say it, but I approach things like Jerry is talking about when people promote their own stuff as this is essential. This is important. Read this. Read what I have to say. Pay attention. I regard it automatically like I'm just, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. That's that. (laughs) It's not because I think I know all the truth already. It's not because I think that I have all the answers already. Okay. But it's because I just cannot handle it. I can't humanly handle it anymore. What are the sources of truth ultimately? What are the sources of beauty? What are the sources of goodness ultimately that I know that I can go to? This is a great way, I think, for me to just say, turn off your stinking phone. Praying about this a lot. Lord, why am I so distracted? What would it take for me to stay away from this thought pattern or this thing? And in prayer, I'm literally hearing, get rid of your phone. Get rid of it. I'm not strong enough to get rid of it yet. But I'm deleting apps very slowly over time. But I'm deleting these apps that take up all my time. And soon my phone is just going to be... A phone. A phone and a camera. That's what I want it to be. It's got a nice camera. Very nice camera, yes. That's what I want it to be. Jerry, I don't know what to tell you as far as a tried and true method of discernment of what is true and what is beautiful, except that these things are so innate because the one who is truth, the one who is goodness, the one who is beauty, you're made in his image. And so you recognize it when you see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's right. And I think part of this too is living a virtuous life, keeping your soul in this state of grace. It, It heightens your sensitivity and your awareness. Like this has been the only consistent way that I've been able to discern whether or not music, for example, predisposes my soul to virtue or to vice. Same with movies, same with even books I might read. It's only by knowing what virtue and freedom and tranquility of order feels like. Yeah. You know, it's sort of this constant, does this match the lived experience of my soul in the state of grace, of the virtue that I'm striving to live with? Because it is kind of hard to just throw out a program of criteria. Yeah. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. This is what it smells like. I think it requires a little bit more personalism than that. Yeah. And therefore, it demands that our lives are filled with virtue, our souls are filled with grace, so that we can essentially love good and flee evil. That was like my moral theology class, day one. Yeah. He goes, the whole of the Christian moral life can be summed up in this sentence, to love good and to flee 
evil. And of course, I was freaking out because I never heard the phrase before. Love good, you know, the highest good, God himself, right? St. Augustine says, love God and do what you will. That's a great way to live. There's a joy and a freedom in that. And the reason I think that it's hard to give a kind of schematic to it is because it's not because truth is different for everyone or goodness is different for everyone or beauty is different for everyone, but because the obstacles to those things are different for everyone. Yeah, good call. And that people's journey is marked with different yeah, obstacles or diversions. So the schematic to recognizing those things is really dependent on that situation. So yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Love what is good and become what you love. And that is really the way. I mean, that's really the way. So truth is a lion, St. Augustine says, set it free. It will defend itself. Love that. And we talked about this so many times, but when you read C.S. Lewis, when you read Michael O'Brien, or when you hear certain lyrics to songs or whatever, and you just say, that's right. Yep. Yep. That's right. That resonates with every single thing in my experience. That's right. That's also a good way of knowing and, and trust that. You can trust that instinct, I think. Totally. Excellent. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Okay. Are you ready for this one? Yep. Claire, outside of Chicago, Illinois. Claire, with an I or no I? No I. No I. Which is how you know she's Catholic, right? St. Claire. Claire. That's how she spelled it. That's Claire. Yeah. I happen to know this Claire. Do you? And when I asked her, why do you spell your name with no I? She said, because I'm so selfless. Ah, ah, LOL. ah, That's pretty good. Okay. This is a long question, Claire, but I'm going to sum it up as best I can. Do you think that we are all called to be creative in some way? You know, to express ourselves in one of the major art forms. She goes on to list several of them. Cooking, dancing, acting, music, painting, sketching, even movie making. All kinds of different genres of art she lists. She says, well, not necessarily the same one for each of us, right? But can we really do leisure well without art? Isn't art a key part of intentional leisure? So that's the broad question. The more personal question is, what genres of art? are our favorites, would have impacted us the most personally. There's actually about five more questions to go in this one beautiful email. (laughs) Uh, Let's begin with the first two. Yeah, that is a good question, Claire. We are co-creative with God. God is the creator, but he has given us in some sense talents or whatever to not create out of nothing, but to still be creative. So to be co-creative with God, I don't know if I would put like a must, duty, like it's something I have to be consciously doing. All right, now I'm going to check the box of being co-creative with God, right? But at the same time, God has given each one of us charisms. God has given each one of us certain interests and talents or whatever to do what? Well, to help build up the kingdom of God, which is already among us and not yet fulfilled. So yeah, From that perspective, we can say yes. But again, it depends how broadly you want to define the arts. Mm -hmm. Are every one of us called to be painters and artists in that way? Sculptors? No, of course not. But could there be an art? Is marching band an art? I think it is. But I think it's also a sport. So get at me. (laughs) But yeah, I, I would say so. And for me, there's the kind of the twofold aspect of appreciation of art and also the participation in arts. If you've ever been on my website, ryanadorjan.com, R-Y-A-N-A-D-O-R-J-A-N.com, where you'll find all my homilies, every week with my homily, I try to find a painting from the tradition of the gospel scene or whatever my homily is about. I try to put great art in that medium as the cover photo or whatever on every post. I love Caravaggio. I want to talk to Caravaggio. I want to meet him and spend time with him. 
I'm captivated by him. I'm captivated by his life and his personality, which we're becoming, we're kind of learning more about and more is being published about it because that makes me appreciate his art, that somebody like Caravaggio can create art the way that he did. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating to me. But I also, as I said before, I play the piano, I play the trombone, I play the organ. I did musical theater for a very, very long time. I love to draw. I'm not good at it. You'll never see it, but I try. <laughs> uh, my mom bought me a Connect the Dots book for adults, a thousand dots on a page. That's something visual to do. I love it. So yes, I think the creation begins though with appreciation and participation in things that you maybe aren't very good at. Yeah. So that's the caveat also, because I want to hear your thoughts on this. But I also want to just add the caveat that just because you're not that good at art doesn't mean you're not being creative. Totally. Doesn't mean that you're not co-creating. Doesn't mean that you're you're doing something wrong if you're not that good at it. Chesterton Academy, where I'm the chaplain in, in Chicago, I know there's a lot of them around, every student takes art all four years of high school, every single student. And the things that these people come up with that these students are doing from the very beginning, which starts with black and white pencil sketches all the way to the end of their senior year, which is like oil painting on canvas. are I mean, this is amazing stuff that they're coming up with. And they will even say, a lot of them, I had no clue that I could do this. So it is a source of life for them. Uh, what do you think? Well, I agree on the front that we are all called to co-create. It just looks so different for everybody. That's, to me, what's so exciting about it. How gloriously different are the saints, you know? How gloriously different all of us co-create with God. On a personal level, everything that love good is, is uh, sort of my my favorite ways of of encountering God through beauty, of, of co-creating with God, of appreciating the creativity of others. Music, books, art, less than ever, Movies. I've always loved movies, but in this past year, I, I just can't seem to make the time for them. Maybe it's because theaters have been closed and I love the whole experience of going to a movie theater. I love being kind of overwhelmed, my senses being overwhelmed in a movie theater. I love that. I love great storytelling, but I spend more time reading than ever. I would say of all of the creative outlets, of all of the ways of, of me appreciating the creativity of others. Words on a page, they've overtaken music. They've overtaken art for me in the last year specifically. That's a huge transition. And maybe that's part of what the Lord is constantly inviting us into is, you know, an appreciation for different modes and different methods. But I always worry about anybody, myself included, who doesn't have regular access to beauty, easy access to beauty. I'm thinking about the folks who were living in thousand square foot apartments in New York City when COVID first hit. For how many months did they order all of their food via Amazon from Whole Foods where it was delivered to their doorstep? How many times did they even have visits from family and friends? If you're literally stuck in a thousand square feet- Which is a pretty it, big apartment, by the way. Okay. What's, it, what's an average one? You 400 know? square feet, 800 insane. square feet, 700. I mean, Can obviously you, you would go crazy. Those are like studio apartments, of course. But, but I mean, one of, the, one of the first things that just blew my mind about moving to Florida is the easy access not to other people's creativity, but rather the creativity of God. Yeah. 
leaving Nashville, I left behind a lot of people's creativity. Sure. And that's so cool and something I do deeply miss, live music especially. But I think it's essential. If we want to be reborn in wonder, it's essential. And for me, it's a constant rebirth. Amen. Back to one of our earliest podcast conversations, to be reborn in wonder. Amen. Can we handle just a follow-up question yeah, from? Yeah. yeah. Claire, thank you. This has been really, really good. She says, we all know that beauty has power, but I guess the basic question is, what power does it have over you? I'd love to hear about some of your own encounters with beauty, how it shaped you, how it's made you who you are, and what you have prioritized since encountering beauty. She's basically saying that in a lot of her episodes, we hear about a lot of other people's encounters with beauty, probably namely our artists. This is funny. Claire probably has never heard me give a talk because this is all I talk about whenever I'm in front of more than two people, you know, is my encounters with beauty and how those have been foretastes of heaven over and over and over again. The glow worms. Uh, the glow worms, the Swiss Alps, the cave dives. There's just story upon story for me. I, I don't know where to start. I'll pick one, but could you pick one? Maybe don't just sort of like tell us what happened, but actually invite us in. Maybe tell a little story, Father Ryan, of an encounter with beauty. And I can start if you need to think. Okay, I am going immediately to the glowworms. Okay, so everybody, imagine yourself traveling the farthest you've ever traveled away from home. Okay, thousands of miles. You're not just going to a new country. You're not just going to a new continent. You're going to a new hemisphere. Okay, about halfway there, you, you bump into some very familiar faces, specifically a Nashville Dominican sister. Okay, she's on the plane from... Nashville to Los Angeles, Los Angeles eventually to like Tahiti, somewhere crazy random. And then you realize she's on her way to Sydney. You're on your way to Auckland, New Zealand. And you're picked up by a Kiwi, which is their way of saying somebody from New Zealand. Not the fruit, not the bird, but the man or the woman from New Zealand. It's called a Kiwi. So I'm picked up by this farmer named Sam, this Kiwi named Sam. He's one of 10 kids. No relation to the Hobbit, Sam, but he kind of has a Hobbit lifestyle. He's also not living very far from where the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies were filmed. So you wake up the next day, you're taken off to this beautiful film set where you get to see where Sir Peter Jackson did all of his great work in the filming of those great movies. Before you know it, you're hiking 15 miles around a volcano. You're going into what are called Polynesian spas, which sounds super lame until you know what I'm talking about. They're basically jacuzzis, naturally occurring jacuzzis that are heated up by geothermal activity because they're surrounded by volcanoes where there's like whole parts of New Zealand dedicated to these spas where you just go in and out. And it's a little bit awkward because you get a lot of older people scantily clad in and out of those <laughs> Polynesian spas as well. So you just got to have your blinders up. And then eventually you're helping lead this summer camp with, I don't know, 200, 250 young people with an accent you've never heard before, all of whom are challenging you in rugby, even though they happen to be the best in the world. They're very kind and sort of accompany you and, and, and teach you how to, how to play and try not to beat you up too bad. And you just get to watch one miracle unfold after another, only for the entire two-week adventure in New Zealand to be capped off with a glowworm hunting expedition. And when I say glowworms, I'm not talking about lightning bugs. That's kind of where my mind goes every time. I'm talking about actual glowworms inside the ridges of 
various sort of mountains is not the right word. It's, it's hills. It's anywhere where you can find a ravine, you might find glowworms. And suddenly I'm tiptoeing down this lightly trodden path looking for glowworms. And eventually I'm told that I've got to be quiet, quieter than I was being up until that point. I've got to turn my phone off. There can be no uh, light. They don't like light. They don't like sound. And eventually one of the, the young Kiwis, they kind of tap me on the shoulder and they say, hey, Jimmy, look over here. I'm squinting. I'm trying so hard to see what they're seeing. I'm squinting. And then slowly, one by one, these little lights started to sort of appear in the ravine, really in the dirt, but looking down. And it suddenly felt like I wasn't looking down at all these glowworms, but rather that I was looking up at the stars, like a constellation of glowworms, right? Just epic beauty. And moments later, right there in that ravine, we all prayed night prayer, the church's night prayer, Compline. And uh, it was an unforgettable moment of encountering God. And the beauty of these people and the beauty of the Lord of the Rings film set, the beauty of the glowworms, but most importantly, in the beauty of God's work in the lives of these people that I had never met up until that trip. That is a brief retelling of one of the great encounters I've ever had with beauty in a far off land. They don't always have to, to involve different hemispheres though, do they, Father Ryan? Our encounters with beauty are little foretastes of heaven. Could be mundane. Could be very mundane. Most of them are mundane. It's true. Seen every day, Tell everywhere us. you are. I mean, one of yours. And I don't know. As a priest, there's so many of them. Little moments, probably especially with people, with souls, huh? Yeah, yeah. A lot of my little confessional, you know. Absolutely. Behind the screen, looking at a door. That's my view. <laughs> As people are just ripping their heart open. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, just a few weeks ago, month ago, I don't know when it was, school was over, getting to be over. Very difficult school year, of course. Everything going on at Chesterton High School. Kids ready for summer. You know, the emotion always of graduation and suddenly even the hardest stoic in the class is a weeping willow. And it's just a very emotional time. And it was the last day of school, big picnic outside. It was it was end of May in Chicago and it was 47, 46 degrees that day. It was so like, ugh, it was raining, drizzling. Anyway, so they ended the school year with kind of this rally. Chesterton has the White Horse Cup. Chesterton's book, The Ballad of the White Horse, the poem. So all year, the houses compete against each other to get these points and whatever. So they present the White Horse Cup and kids go crazy. And then as a chaplain, I lead the Angelus, which we prayed, you know, give a blessing and send them on their way. This year that was marked with a lot of difficulty, a lot of discouragement, a lot of me getting used to the place, them getting used to me, a lot of challenges just with couple classes being quarantined for a part of the school year and just people who who lost family members. I mean, you have the normal stuff of life. You have the COVID stuff of life. You have the political year. We've all had a hard year. And after the final blessing, kind of very spontaneously, and I wasn't surprised about it because they end everything this way, but after a year of not being allowed to touch each other, to be clumped together, suddenly outside in the freezing rain, the school and the parents who were there linked up arms together in this big circle and they started singing kind of the 
the national anthem of Chesterton, Non Nobis Domine. Oh, we sing that at Jesuit all the time. Yeah. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory. They sing it in Latin. Just a hauntingly beautiful, really, really beautiful. Mm. Filled my eyes with tears, I would say. But I'm not going to say that because I don't cry. But um, <laughs> beautiful, really, really beautiful. And just that's one of those moments that now even like months later, it's really like, it just haunts me in a way. You reminded me of our baccalaureate mass, which was just, you know, at the time of this recording a week ago. But, you know, very end of the school year, all the underclassmen are done, final exams, everything's done. Seniors are back for the first time in a few weeks. They're there with their families. Everybody's dressed. Everyone looks great. They're either in cap and gown or they're in tuxes, you know. At the very end of this baccalaureate mass, you could just sense this lingering in the grace. Nobody really wanted to leave. It wasn't just that they were not wanting to say goodbye to Jesuit. I mean, that was the next night. The next night was graduation back on campus. It was a lingering in this grace that was overflowing from that mass. And we did sing that non nobis song, I think, at communion. I mean, that just is so haunting. And we've got this little chamber orchestra and the full organ. And just like it swells in that chapel, you know. But one of the students, soon-to-be graduates, suggested that we pray a rosary. We're all like hanging out at this point, eating brownies and drinking water and just kind of reveling in the moment. And my initial instinct was, oh, I need to go home. Like I got a 45 minute ride. I'm getting up early the next day. Like I just probably should go home. Right. And, uh, the one became three, became 12, became 30. Within the next five to 10 minutes, there were over 30 people beginning a walking rosary across that pitch black, pitch dark campus. And it was just like the most beautiful, sacred, joyful thing. Wrapping up at the grotto, everybody on their knees in the pebbles. Yeah, it's sometimes even in those very ordinary moments. For me, it almost always involves some level of prayer because that's where the the Lord meets us yeah. and sort of elevates whatever it is, you know. Beauty comes through the inspiration of the Spirit. Yeah. Whether it's writing or art, uh, you know, painting, visual art or whatever. But that both of those moments. Totally. The prayer at Chesterton, the prayer at Jesuit. We have time for one more question, Father. And it's very related, but a bit more practical. It comes from Aiden. Aiden is in Foxborough, Wisconsin. He says, do you have any suggestions for finding or starting a Catholic artistic community where young people can hone their talents and grow in their faith together. I don't think he's looking for a Facebook group. I don't think he's looking for an annual event, but rather a community of artists, a community of Catholics who can hone their talents and grow in their faith together. How would you go about, we'll say starting one. I think it's safe to say that that probably doesn't exist everywhere, but how do you start something like that, Father? What do you think? Meet people. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Just meet people. Then what? Be yourself and be intentional about it. Do you want to join a group with me where we get together every whatever and talk about our art? It would be some good things you could, for example, read in the first few weeks or months of getting together a group like that. My mind immediately goes to some obvious things. JP2's letter to artists, okay. obviously. Oh, he like that? It. Yeah, it's a oh. bunch of creatives wanting to get together oh. and sort of... Yeah, JP2. Keep an intentional marriage of their creativity and their faith. Right? Joseph Pieper, I would say, art, art Only the Lovers Sing. Yes, yes, yes. No one reads that. Art and favorite. Contemplation. I would say that, yeah. You ever heard of Gregory Wolf? 
No. He's got a book called Beauty Will Save the World. Okay. Uh, excellent. I also think of Dana Joya's essay, The Catholic Writer Today. Not that the group has to be intellectual, Aiden, but I think the more that it can you know, bring big ideas into relationships and into conversations, the better. Not everybody's ready to just launch into that. And the best things are organic. Totally. So you don't want to start with the idea that I, this is going to be an artist's empire. No, it, it's going to be probably one or two friends getting together with you to talk about a common love interest. Mm-hmm. More than anything, I really think that's what it'll be. And then it'll grow and people will talk and it will grow or it won't. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember that if it doesn't succeed or it doesn't grow or not more than five people are interested, that doesn't mean that you're bad or that the idea was bad. It just means that in in that moment, the spirit is, is inspiring something of that kind. Mm-hmm. But to trust that what's bringing you together is something deeper even than a shared interest or hobby or a lifestyle but is something is something much more collectivizing than mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It's the spirit. And I'd say, too, if you're young and you're single, Aiden, I'd suggest finding some intentional Christians, some intentional Catholics to live with, right? There's several of these homes in Nashville. Some of them are more creative or more artistic than others. But there's nothing like living life in common with people who have the same noble ambitions, the same pursuits, you know? And for some of us, that does mean a career in music or a career in art. For most of us, uh, it, it may only involve music and art and creativity. And I think that's one of my favorite things about having lived in Nashville for so long is even those who never made it, quote unquote, made it, they stuck around because it is such a fun city. It is such a attractive city, it's such an authentic city that people, even though you know, they never made it work professionally, uh, still play music all the time, still write a blog or have a passion project on the side at all times. There's nothing like living around creative people who are also trying to constantly bring their faith or allow their creativity to be imbued with their faith. Nothing like it. I can just also speak to living here now in Tampa where I don't know many creative people but there's a lot of lonely people out there waiting for someone like you, Aiden, to just reach out. Amen. And have them over for a cookout, maybe a cigar, and an intentional conversation. And beautiful, beautiful things start that way. Father Ryan, you have the last word. We're wrapping up season six of the Love Good Podcast. Thanks for your questions, first of all. Thanks for your attention. The only advice that I can ever give is to simply go further up, go further in to be as intentional as possible about the life that you are pursuing. Those people who didn't make it in in the music industry, quote unquote, in Nashville, but stayed, it's because they stayed. They stayed because they found what they went there to look for in the first place, which they thought maybe was one thing, but ended up being something quite different and much more fulfilling. So don't be afraid of the journey of life and don't be afraid to engage every single part of it. Take yourself seriously and just be very intentional about living the life that you would like to live. Love what is good and uh, become what you love. Change the world. Thank you, Father Ryan. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been a total joy. There's much to come. I, I think at this point, it's safe to say that very, very soon, and this is a sneak peek, spoiler alert, we'll be announcing the release of an education platform. And with that will come probably less and less content 
on things like podcasts and more and more formation and education on a platform that I hope you are very, very involved with. And we'd love, love to take some classes from uh, Father Professor Ryan Adorjan. I wonder what we'll talk about. Who can say? Who can say? Until then, peace. Peace out. Black hole in my heart. Black hole in my favorite sweaters. Stitch it up. Though I'll try. I'm just stitching my scarlet letters. Someone call. Someone call. Someone call. I don't know who I am at all. Someone call. Someone call. Someone call. You're listening to Don't Know Who I Am by Rebecca Rubion off of her, gosh, what album was that? It must have been 2016, Sleepless Nights. What an amazing artist. As you know, we've been supporting artists like Rebecca for the last eight years straight, ever since we launched this bad boy in the summer of 2013. And it's not that we're leaving that world behind. And next week, Marisol and I, we're, we're going to dive into it, all right? Because Love Good is about to hit a major milestone. We're about to really turn a, a very important corner. And it doesn't mean that we're leaving music behind. It doesn't mean that we're, we're leaving artists behind. It means that actually we're turning all of our attention now, more than ever, to our patrons and the ongoing formation that we all need in order to be apostles, in order to be evangelists, for crying out loud, in order to just be functional Christians in a world that is increasingly post-Christian, in a world that I would say doesn't get the faith, doesn't get the church, doesn't even have the vestiges or the values left over from Christendom. We are living in an apostolic era. There's no two ways to say it. We cannot make any assumptions. And I think with that kind of spirit comes a real opportunity uh, to form ourselves and better yet to enter into conversation, community, prayer with one another so that we can come out the other end of this era, of this age, um, having helped Jesus save souls by first and foremost, allowing him to save our own. So we're about to really pull back the veil and leave no doubt about what Love Good really stands for and what our patrons are ultimately striving for, which is holiness, which is heaven and bringing an army of souls with us. So if that fires you up, Tune in next week for all of the details as Marisol and I make the biggest announcement in Love Good History. We love you guys. Pray for us. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.